Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Well, I'm happy to be here today. Uh, we, uh, I thought today was going to be the last uh, part of this series called Max Out. If you've missed any part of it, you can go back and uh, plug into that and watch that. It's on our uh, podcast. It's on our Facebook page. It's on our website, our YouTube. And I would encourage you to get each and all of these messages. They are building blocks to help you max out your year. Uh, they're building blocks to help you to accomplish and become all that you are called to accomplish uh, in this life. God has huge things in store for you. He has big plans for you. When he made you, he didn't make a mistake. When he made you, he made you on purpose and for a specific cause, and you have a work to do. That's why you have breath in your lungs. There's something for you to do on this planet, and if you're gonna live, you might as well max out and be the person that he's called you to be, the greatest version of yourself that he's called you to be. God did not make you to be less than his full purpose and potential for your life. He made you to have the ability to over, uh, go ab- above and beyond your own imaginations to accomplish great things in life for his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we've talked about Uh, Last week specifically, we talked about playing to win. We talked about having commitment in our lives, not quitting, being diligent and being sharp, uh, not making excuses, but really focusing on how we can uh, take practical steps to better ourselves and be the best version that we possibly can be. And today we're going to kind of dive into a little bit of a journey uh, of this message and series. And next week on Saturday night, remember it's six o'clock Saturday night, in the name of Jesus, this will be our last Sunday that we are not allowed to meet as a church family because of a wedding that's booked in the facility that we're trying to use. We're about to have our own building, y'all. We're about to have our own house. And it's looking beautiful. It's so exciting. Um, Our plan right now is we're going to launch our Unstoppable campaign on the 7th of February. It's going to run all through the month of February. You do not want to miss a single uh, week of that month. If you're not able to be in the building with us, make sure you do not miss it online. This is a vision series for us. The prophetic word that God has given for Oaks Church is that the work he's doing in this church is unstoppable. It cannot be stopped. No human can stand in the way of it. No government can stand in the way of it. No no pandemic can stand in the way of it. What God wants to do through this church cannot be stopped. It's unstoppable. And we're going to roll out the full vision. We gave you a little teaser before the end of the year, uh, but we're rolling out the full vision February 7th. You don't want to miss it. It'll be four weeks. We have a spiritual journey that we're launching. Uh, We're going to be doing some fasting, some praying, We have a uh, program that we're going to be doing uh, two times a day that we're going to be praying um, in the morning and in the evening as a church. And we're going to be giving you specific material on a weekly basis to fast and pray with us as we move into this new season. And on the very last Sunday of February, we're believing in Jesus' name that that will be our very first Sunday in our new building, the 28th. And that will be our finale. And you don't want to miss the finale of Unstoppable. It's going to be absolutely incredible. So that's my infomercial for the day. Are you excited? I'm excited. I'm excited. So that's some good news. But have you ever felt like you had bad news? Have you ever felt like you were in a season where bad news just kept hitting you over and over and over? 
like 2020, have you ever felt like you were in a time where you literally said, well, certainly nothing else could go wrong? Have you ever done that and you forgot to knock on wood? Not that we're superstitious, but something else went wrong. Come on, you guys, you can be in a time, in a season where bad news just keeps coming. Uh, we've been in seasons in our life that we've seen bad news. My wife and I, most of you that know us, know that we lost our first daughter to brain cancer. And that was a season that was excruciating. It, it seemed like we would just get punched in the gut and have the worst news. The doctors would come in and say something and it would just destroy us. And we would rally back and build our faith back up and we would be having a good day the next day and then all of a sudden more news would come. And it was these, like just wave after wave after wave of bad news just beating us down and destroying us. And, and, and guys, I want you to understand that our faith is built on the good news of Jesus Christ. And bad news is something that the enemy uses to get us out of faith and get us into flesh. We all are going to face bad news in our lives, guys. We're going to face bad news. You've never been promised. In fact, the, you know, one of the things that you were promised by Jesus that we don't like to talk about in church is tribulation. Congratulations. Jesus promised you suffering. We don't like that part of the gospel. We don't like that part. We want all good news all the time. Cotton candy and flower petals and, and slumber parties. And we wanted good news all the time. But it's life, and life has bad news, and it has tough seasons. And if you, you remember, God's people went through 40 years in the wilderness, and they also went through 400 years in Egypt. Guys, we as God, God's people are going to go through some ups and some downs, and we've got to have the faith to weather through. You understand that faith is a fight. Faith is a fight. The scripture is very clear. It says in 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Come on, anybody else like a good fight? I love a good fight, right? I like a good fight. And some of you guys don't appreciate a good fight, but I like a good fight. I don't like to watch Floyd Mayweather because I don't feel like it's very often a good fight. I feel like he's a runaway fighter. He's a, he runs away. I feel like they, they pick people that they know that he can beat real easy. And he's just, it's about, I don't like watching him. I like watching people. Man, I don't know if you, any of you guys, old school boxers, remember a guy named Arturo Gotti. Do you, anybody remember Arturo Gotti? Oh my God. This dude literally was the toughest guy I'd ever seen in my life. I remember watching him in every single fight. He literally would not ever make the person miss. He would stand right in front of them. And just like, I mean, and literally, and the person's giving them all. He's got every single fight. He looked like he lost every single fight. But he would win even though he looked like a hamburger afterwards because he was just in there duking it out. Come on, I like a good fight. Y'all aren't into that, are you? God has called us to fight the good fight of faith, not a runaway, boring tag faith fight. This is a good fight of faith. And guess what? You're going to take some licks. But when you're a real fighter, you understand that when you take a lick or two, that that's, that's, I, 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 it's hard to explain this. But as a fighter, when someone tags you, you're like, good one. Because you're a fighter. And that's just a wake up. Because you're a fighter, you're like, okay, nice. Any of you guys that played football, you get stung on a tackle, you're like, uh-huh, okay, good one. Next, I'm coming, right? Competitors understand that there's something good about tough competition. 
because tough competition makes you better. And God could have made it where there was no devil, but he didn't because he knew that the devil would actually make you a better you. Because if you would get in there and contend with him and obey what the scripture says and stand up against him and resist him, it would build a fortitude. It would build some substance. It would build some strength. It would build some tenacity so that you could actually become what God has called you to become. You don't become great without adversity. You become great through adversity. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called. That's an aggressive term, take hold of, to grasp, to manhandle. I'm not letting go of my eternal life. You have an enemy that wants to steal everything Jesus bought for you with his blood. And you have to take hold of it. The scripture says that the violent shall take it by force. And we've gotta be willing to rise up and be powerful, powerful people. Scripture says that You'll work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't sound nice. That's not very welcoming. Hey, let me tell you about coming to Jesus. It's going to be a fight for your life. You're going to work it out with fear and trembling. You're going to have a violent enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. There are people that they were doing just fine living in the world Everything was going okay. They knew they were missing something. They get saved and all hell breaks loose. Why? Because they just switched teams. And the enemy has identified them now as someone that he has to aggressively assault. Scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the good news of God. That's in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Another verse says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, that bad company ruins good morals. Do you know the actual translation in the Greek of that word is evil communications corrupt good morals. Evil communications. Can I tell you that we live in a world of evil communication? We live in a bad news world. And bad news is an attack on your faith. Bad news is an attack on your faith. We got some nice little theme music going on here today. This is really great. Can you guys hear it back there? No, it's up here on the stage. You can hear it back there. We've got little, apparently whatever music is in the lobby is right here on the stage with me. I'm gonna get my chi focused and I'm gonna focus through it. Don't worry. I'm gonna levitate around the stage here in just a moment. I wanna take you to a passage today. We're walking through the story of Jacob. And Jacob's story is a massively inspirational story. This is the story of the forming of a covenant. This is the story of, uh, of the building of a relationship between Jacob, a man, and God, his creator. And in this story, Jacob, we've walked through, and that's why you're going to want to go back and listen to and watch the messages uh, from this series, Maxed Out, because you're going to want to catch all of the pieces from that come out of the story of Jacob. But in Genesis 32, verse 3, Jacob has now escaped from Laban. He has his wives. He has uh, his, his uh, wealth. He's got his kids. He's got his family. He's got 11 kids now, four wives. He's got thousands and thousands of, 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 of members of his flock or his herds. And he's, he's a very wealthy man, but now he's coming back to his father's land. And the last time he was in his father's land, he was running for his life because his brother had sworn to murder him the next time he saw him. 
So 20 years have gone by. Jacob is coming back and he doesn't know what he's coming back to. And so in verse three of Genesis 32, Jacob sends messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you're to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. I don't know how you would interpret that. But if someone told me, the next time I see you, I will bury you. Oh, he's here? Come on, boys. Saddle up. 400 men. I'm going to assume they were armed men. I think that's a fair assumption. And Jacob uh, gets some bad news in that moment. Watch what Jacob does. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided his people into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. That's not a faith position. You understand that? Jacob was so rattled by the bad news that he received that his best case scenario was maybe I'll only lose 50% of my family and my wealth. Maybe only half of my children will die. Maybe only half of my wives will die. Maybe only half of my herds will die. Maybe somehow I can keep the better half, the better kids, the better wives. It's an interesting story. Bad news sent him into a spiral. Your default, my default, is when we receive bad news, our default as humans is to resort to natural thinking. That is our default as human beings. Natural solutions, natural thinking. You are a spiritual being, but you live in a fleshly body and you wake up every single day in the flesh. You don't wake up in the spirit. Some of you might be that holy. I don't know, Carol might. Carol probably prays in the Holy Spirit while she sleeps at night. I don't know. Not many people are as holy though. Most people wake up in the morning with bed head, bad breath, and an attitude until they have a cup of coffee. You have to make a decision, according to scripture, to get into the spirit. You have to choose on a daily basis to get into the spirit. We have to make that choice. Your pastor gets in the flesh. Can I tell you, can I confess to you today? Oh, don't get nervous. Here we go. Now gotta find a new church again. Can I confess to you today that I have been so mad lately. I had a couple people come to me this week, Joel, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. I'm mad. I'm mad at the whole world. I'm mad at America. I'm mad at the government. I'm mad at everybody. I'm mad at them all. 
I want Jesus to come back right now. The verse to live is Christ and to die is gain means something new to me right now. The live is Christ is a challenge. The die is gain sounds promising. Guys, I'm mad, I'm frustrated. Our nation is driving me nuts. Our news organizations drive me crazy, I'm furious. Can I be that real, can I be that honest? And if I've come across a little edgy lately, sorry. (laughs) I'm human and I'm ticked off. And, and, and guys, I'm, the, Lord, the Lord spoke to me this week. He, he, he corrected me this week. And he gave me a word. And I really feel like it's a word for all of us, or at least some of us that are, that are less holy than others. <laughs> but he gave me the word entangled. He said, Joel, you've allowed yourself to be entangled with the thoughts of this world, with the news of this world with the ideas and the opinions of this world. You're entangled with the media. You're entangled with the opinions. And you have to get detangled. Have you ever had a tangled situation? You ever had a a little girl? Anybody have little girls with long hair and they fell asleep with gum in their mouth? You ever had that situation? That's how my spirit's been. (laughs) I'm just joking. It's not been that bad. Sometimes tangles are so bad, you got to cut them out. Peanut butter won't do it. Ladies, you ever had a necklace, like a really fine, fine little chain, and it got all tangled up in like a little knot? That's one of the most frustrating things for for a a husband to receive from a wife. Because our fat thumbs and fingers, and and we're, we're old and we're squinting, and the wife's like, here, honey, fix it. You bought this for me, and it means so much to me. And it's this tangled ball of chain, and it's just like, oh, my God, it's so frustrating. Tangled. My worst tangle, Larry remembers this, was when Larry let me borrow his 10-foot batwing mower. Um, and if you've never seen one of those, they're a force to be reckoned with. And, and he set me up, and he's like, just go down this way, and then turn around and come back this way. And so I went down this way, and within three minutes, I had hit an electric fence and I had completely, and I didn't realize it until I'm 100 yards down, I had 100 yards of electric wire wrapped up in the right bat wing of this mower, five minutes in max, and I got to spend the next two hours cutting wire out of the bottom of this mower. I'm cut, I'm bleeding, I'm praying in the spirit because I'm so holy, never said a single word I shouldn't have. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was that I didn't realize that I had been mowing a big patch of poison ivy. So this entangled situation followed me for two weeks. And every time I would turn around, I'm calling Simon for, uh, for some kind of a, whatever it's called, a steroid or something, because the, the, I got poison ivy in a new spot now. It just keeps coming up, and who knows where, I don't know what happened, but it was a tangled situation, and it was frustrating, and it didn't make me happy. And the Lord gave me this verse uh, today, or this week specifically, and it's the verse in Hebrews chapter 12. 
if I can find it, verse 1, I believe. And it says uh, in the second part of it, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Guys, we can get entangled. Well, Joel, you said sin. You can be entangled in sin. Yeah, you can be entangled in sin. But can I tell you that anything that's not done in faith can be sin? See, faith is the only way to please God. And the enemy wants, he's so good, guys. The enemy is so good with bad news. Bad news is his number one weapon. Can I take you back to his MO in the garden? When the enemy showed up to Eve, he showed up with news. He showed up with questions to create doubt. He said, hey, did God really say that if you ate this, you would die? Oh, that's not true. Let me tell you, let me give you the, the, the oh my God, let me give you the, the new media version. Let me give you, I'm trying not to say a station, a channel right now. Let me give you the spin that I want you to have on this. That's the devil's MO. Let me spin this thing. What was he spinning her to buy into? Watch, watch. What was he spinning her to eat? What fruit was it from? What tree was it from? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He tricked her into buying in to all of the juicy news. All of the knowledge. All of the things God's trying to hold out from you. And God was saying to his children, there's a tree right here called the tree of life. If you'll just eat from that one, you'll live forever. In perfect health. And instead, the tree of knowledge Guys, we live in an era where we, people of faith, are seen as being archaic and ignorant, unintelligent, uninformed, uneducated, because we believe in a book that's thousands of years old, and knowledge is supreme. But that's not what God says. His people die for a lack of knowledge. But God has offered us life. Would you rather have life or knowledge? He's offered us life. And the, the reality is that the wisdom of God trumps the wisdom of man every time. We take to the next part of the story. With this question in mind, are you, are you entangled? Have you become, am I the only one? God, I, I've had to literally, my phone, I've had to take all social media stuff, put it off to a way, way, way back screen, news stuff. I, I, I've got, I have to change some stuff. It's too easy. It's too, it's, 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 like, it's like Skittles, man. I can't leave a bowl of Skittles around the house. I can't leave M&Ms. We used to do that. We had, we had this fishbowl. It was the biggest fishbowl ever. And, and we literally would rip off and pour peanut M&Ms. Come on, Jesus loves peanut M&Ms. And I'm talking fill. A, it, was, it would take like 10 bags of the big bags to fill this thing. It was like $80 of M&Ms sitting in our thing. And every time you walk past, oh my God, I was round. We can't do that anymore. Well, guys, some of us, that's what our social media has become. Just this big open jar and any time and you're just always grabbing into it and you're always grabbing into it and we're filling ourselves up with filth. And then we're wondering why we're depressed. Uh, 
Genesis 32, verse 9. Let's look at Jacob's second reflex. His first reflex was flesh. His first reflex was fear. His first reflex was similar to some of ours. But let's look at his second reflex. Verse 9, it says, Then Jacob prayed. Oh, if I could pray first. If we could learn to pray first. So many times we come around to praying. Because we're so wrapped up in our own knowledge and our own ability to fix things. We don't want to bother God with the little stuff. So we try to handle it ourselves. Do you remember when your kids were in that cute little stage where they wanted to dress themselves, but they would come out with their pants somehow zipped up backwards? I I don't know how. Shirts inside out, head through an armhole. But they want to do it themselves. Some of us are doing life like that. And we're like, God, I can do it myself. And we're so proud of our head through an armhole. (laughs) Says, then Jacob prayed. Oh God, my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, watch this, you who said to me, can someone say that with me? You who said to me. We need to remind ourselves what God has already said. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of bad news, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country, to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two camps. He's so big, he has two camps. Save me, here's his request, I pray from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. And he spent the night there, and from there, from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. So I want you to see this as I'm about to walk through this gift for you. I want you to remember The last thing Jacob said to God before he left the land of his father, Isaac. The last thing he said was his covenant with God. God said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this and this is what I'm going to do if you'll obey me and blah, 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 blah. God made a covenant with him and Jacob wakes up from the dream after hearing God and says, God, if you will feed me, if you'll put clothes on my back, if you will protect me, if you will watch over me, if you will bring me back to my father's house, then I will make you my God and I'll set up this stone here and prioritize the house of God, Bethel, and I will give you a tenth, a tithe of everything that you give me. That was the last thing that Jacob had ever said inside of the land of his forefathers before he went 20 years to Laban's house in Haran. Now he's back, his very first day back. He gets bad news. He recovers from it, goes into prayer, Prays the prayer, and inside of his prayer time, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Please don't assume that Jacob just had a good idea. When you go to pray, if you come out of prayer thinking you figured something out, you've missed the whole point. Prayer is not about you figuring something out. Prayer is about you encountering the creator of the universe who already has the answer for you. So in his prayer time, God inspires him with an answer, and I'm going to present to you 
that he reminded him of the promise that Jacob had made. Hey, Jake, do you remember what you said to me? You said I would be your God. You said my house would be your priority. And you said that you would give me a tenth, a tithe. This is the covenant we formed. Guys, remember, this is before the law. The principle of tithe is before the law. It's an eternal principle. It was in the garden. The tree of life was the tithe. Give me the, the, the tree of life. I'm sorry, I said it backwards. The tree of knowledge was the tithe. Give me this tree. Don't ever touch this tree. This one's mine. Let me have the knowledge of good and evil. That was the tithe. And in exchange, you can have the tree of life and live forever. That was the tithe. It's the principle. The very first story of mankind, the tithe is in there. The covenant that God had made with Jacob included Jacob's commitment to tithe. And Jacob comes out of his prayer time, and the God idea he had was to fulfill the commitment that he had made already. So look at this. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, which was everything that he owned, he selected a gift for his brother. Are you ready for this gift? Are you ready for this tithe? Watch how big this is. Well, you can't tithe to, to, a, to Esau. How, how could it be? Listen, there was no church. This is the establishment in this moment of the household of Israel. Next week, we're going to go into this next phase, and I'm going to share with you the wisdom that comes from the moment where Jacob wrestled with God and prevailed. That's next week, Saturday night, 6 o'clock. Be here. But in this moment, Jacob is fulfilling his then. He sets aside the tithe because the tithe is actually going back into his father's house. His earthly father, Isaac, because Esau was one of his, was his brother. So the tithe is going back into the house of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all together. Watch how big it was. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes or female sheep and 20 rams, 30 female camels. Do you know how much a camel costs? John might, I don't know. $50,000. I mean, sheep, maybe they're cheap. Goats, not too much. A camel, donkeys, 30 camels, and they're young. These are mama camels with a baby. 60 camels, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male. This is a massive, massive offering. I'm just going to propose to you that if Jacob gave 220 goats, he had 2,200 goats. I'm just going to propose to you because call it a tithe, call it a tribute. A tribute was a tenth and a tithe is a tenth. The symbolism, A, is the symbolism of passing a test in scripture. B, it's the symbolism of, of giving your all. And, and C, it's the symbolism of redemption, of redeeming the rest. That's the picture here. Come on, if there's anybody here that's struggling with the principle of tithe, I ask you in the name of Jesus to trust your Father in heaven. Put him to the test in this, as the Lord declares, and watch that he will not open the windows of heaven. That's the promise of God about the tithe. 
and I could pull up, in fact, we will pull up member after member after member after member that you'll see on our Oak stories that will share their story of what happened when they entered into the covenant of the tithe with God. Forget Old Testament, New Testament. This exists before the law. It's powerful. He got them and uh, and put them in care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. And watch this, what he instructed. He also instructed uh, the first, the second, and the third, and all of them followed. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he'll receive me. So Jacob's, watch this, so Jacob's gifts went ahead of him. His gifts went ahead of him. Jacob was being bombarded with bad news. He was being bombarded with thoughts of his own demise. So he enters into a place, hears the voice of God, prepares his tithe, his offering, and he sends it out in waves. Can I give you a promise? Can I, can I give you a principle that is absolutely true? If you will live a lifestyle of perpetual generosity, you will live a lifestyle of perpetual harvest. You can reap a harvest in every season. It'll be different in different seasons. But you can live a life of perpetual harvest if you live a life of perpetual sowing. Do your gifts go out before you? Does your generosity go out ahead of you? Does it impress anyone? I'm not saying do it to impress, but in the story, if you want to go and read the rest of the story this week, Esau was impressed. You're talking about like, I don't know, 500, 600 animals. It's a serious Serious, and it was in wave after wave after wave. Can you imagine? The Bible's very clear. It says that the gift opens a way for the giver. Husbands understand this. We buy flowers sometimes because they say something that helps us with something that we said earlier that now we need to say something different. Gift opens the way for the giver. But sometimes you got to get them again and again and then some chocolates. And sometimes it's a wave and a wave and a wave. I don't know. No one's ever been in the doghouse like I've been in the doghouse. Apparently you're not translating with this. Come on, guys. Where are you in this regard? Now, Oaks Church, I got to tell you, Oaks Church is literally one of the most generous churches per capita I've ever seen ever anywhere. The people that are working with us on our building campaign can I tell you, I, 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 I don't want to fluff you up. I don't want to give you a big head. But the level that you guys give per capita is almost double most churches. You guys are unreal. You're unreal. I can't wait to tell you. I cannot wait to give you the good news on February 7th when we launch Unstoppable of what you have actually accomplished. I can't tell you yet. But it's unreal. What you've accomplished in your first two years as Oaks Church, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's just, it's stupid how amazing God has been through you. So thank you for that. But the reality is, is that everything that we're doing is with half participation. 
half participation. And half participation is pretty good, statistically. But what could we do for the kingdom if everybody said, okay, I'm in? What would happen if all of the Oaks people said, you know what? I'm in. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to put him first. I'm going to believe. I'm going to be in covenant with him. I'm going to just, just the cup, just the simple basic covenant of Jacob, which is the basis for our faith. You're my God. I'll prioritize your church, your house, and I'll give you a tithe. Very simple, very basic. If that's it, come on, it's a no brainer for me personally. It's a no brainer for me. And I want to encourage you guys just to expand and open up your heart and expand your faith as we go into this next season. God, I've been telling Jennifer stuff, stuff that's just stretching me. The goals, the dreams that I have for our generosity, the only way they're possible is if God does something miraculous for our income. Because my generosity goals are way bigger than my income. But I just have this crazy amount of faith that God, if I'll do this for you, if I'll make my goal not, come on, you hear me? If I'll make my goal not what I can get, but if I'll make my goal what I can give, there's no limit to what God can allow me to, to, to oversee and manage. If the only thing I'm thinking about is what I can give and not what I can get, flips the whole game, guys. Flips the whole game. And we live in a world that's all about gimme, 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 gimme. And as, as members of the kingdom of heaven, look, and there's nothing wrong. I like nice houses. I like nice cars. I like nice shoes. I like nice things. I want to have some nice things. But I never want nice things to have me. Right? I want nice things, but I don't want nice things to have me. I want to be the most generous. I want you to be blown away. I want to shock people with my generosity. Like, like, like people are like, that's just stupid. How could he, no, that's not even biblical. You understand the New Testament church? They didn't squabble over 10%. They they all went to the, just just so I can help you with this, the average Jew in that day would give 17%, okay? 17%. The first church Christians were still Jews. They went to the temple every day. The only way they could go to the temple is that they were current on their tithes and offerings. Did you know in the Old Testament, if you didn't pay your tithes, you had to pay back tithes with interest? Some of y'all be in trouble. (laughs) So everything they gave to the new Christian church was on top of their 17%. They were giving out of massive, ridiculous abundance. Why? Because they had found actual life they found actual life the only thing that mattered so what do we need to do we need to get a good word from god get a good god word we're in the middle of a season where bad news is is just daily just daily i'm i'm having to make decisions to just not look at some news it's just too much once a day i'll take a peek once a day i'll look at something that's it just to, be, just to be slightly current, and then I'm out. And Because and, I personally, just, just me, I need hours of the word of God in my life on a daily basis. I need hours of good news in my life on a daily basis. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't be who God's called me to be 
with hours of bad news on a daily basis. I can't do it. It's killing me. Can't do it. And neither can you. We've got to be the good news people. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. We've got to get a good God word. That's what Jacob did. He got a good God word, and he went and he lived it out, and he acted upon it. And, and obeying that good God word turned the heart of Esau, softened his heart, and it won his brother over, and it saved Jacob's life, and it saved his family's life because he got a good God word, and he obeyed it. I'll give you just a couple very practical things. Number one, you need to spend time on a daily basis, whatever's in your heart, whatever's in your mind, whatever's, whatever's troubling you, just, if you would just do a simple Google search, what does the Bible say about this? And fill your mind with that. This, this is what I read. This, is, this was my good God word from, from this morning. I don't think I, I may have given this one to you, Austin. I don't know. It's Colossians 1.15. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether, watch this, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Your government was created through Jesus Christ. Your rulers and authorities created through Jesus Christ. Nothing exists that wasn't created in and through Jesus Christ, and nothing exists that doesn't exist for him. God is in control of our psycho mess. He's in control. It was created in him. It exists for him. We can't correct it. He can and we've got to make his word our perspective. Doesn't mean we're uninformed. Doesn't mean we're, we have blinders on. It means that we have prioritized his word, his good news over the bad news of the world. And that's the report that we're going to stick to. Look up and know, what does the Bible say about my situation? What has he already said? That's first and foremost. Number two, pray that verse. Remind God of what he's already said. Not that he's forgotten, but there's something that happens in the heart of a child, in the heart of a parent, when my daughters say, hey, dad, remember, you said that you would help me hang this poster for my birthday four weeks ago. Yeah, dad's gotta go hang a post, right? There's something I said, and when you come to God with what he said, it's powerful. Because now you're getting an agreement with him with what he's already said. And his word comes alive in your heart. So look up what he says. Pray what he says. Number three, journal. Write out your questions to him and ask him for an answer. It's the number one secret. It's the best habit I have in my whole life. I write out my prayers. I ask him to answer. I wait for him to talk and I write down what he says. I've been practicing it for 20 years now. It's the greatest habit I have. It, literally, my whole life is built on that. Document what God says and hold on to it. You had to hold on to what God said. Jacob had 20 years holding on to what God said. And he would take the next 20, 40, 60 years holding on to what God said. Last, fulfill your vows to God. You actually have to obey 
and do what God asked, and even more so, do what you tell him you will do. Keep your word to God. We've gotta be the most committed people, committed to each other. There used to be a time when a handshake meant something. I'm still gonna be a handshaker. Elbow bumps are not me. I'll wash my hands, I'll keep some little goo in my pocket or whatever. Handshake means something. Handshake represents covenant. Do you know that? It represents covenant. And we're in a covenant with God, and we're in a covenant with each other. God's got big plans for us. Amen? Let's be committed people. Father, ask you. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.